So the, uh, the, the concept of um, end times comes up an awful lot in these texts. Can you give us kind of an overview of, of what the Dead Sea Scrolls say about the end of the world? Well, they, they are sort of, I would say, inconsistent, or mm. at least they don't have a unified message uh, of what constitutes the end of the world. Uh, the, each text, or not, uh, uh, or the, a, a variety of clusters of texts have different sort of takes on how that's going to happen. Um, some are really specific, some are clearly more general. Um, a lot of them seem to want to frame a very apocalyptic battle between good and evil, uh, the sons of light versus the sons of darkness, that kind of thing. Uh, generally, they do see uh, an end where the good guys come out as the winner. Uh, God will restore proper order, the, the world will be set right, and the uh, bad folks, usually represented by somebody like Bilal, uh, probably referring to Rome, <clears throat> excuse me, will be overthrown, and uh, that will be the end of it. They will have their new kingdom, the, their new Israel. Um, as it's a scholarly thing, but also a human thing that we love to put things into categories and genres mm -hmm. to try to understand them. So I've often heard about these these texts as apocalyptic texts. If we label them like that, does that actually get in the way of us understanding them? I think on some levels. I mean, some of the texts clearly do fit within the the genre of apocalypse or that sort of. Uh, political and rest that these texts tend to represent. Um, some don't. Some are really basic uh, community stuff, like what do you do, um, you know, uh, like how to, how to live your life properly, uh, proper, you know, calendars, things like that. But uh, yeah, the, the collection is so broad and so varied, covers, you know, quite a large um, um, chronological period that it, it's I don't think it's, it's a good idea to call them all apocalyptic or to claim it being as clearly just apocalyptic because I think that misrepresents some of the other stuff that's going on. Right and and to clarify uh, and we talked about this a little bit previously but like yeah. we have like um, uh, almost all the books that are in the Hebrew Bible there these these aren't and we have the Book of Enoch uh, these aren't mm -hmm. books uh, that are just exclusive to this community they are coming from a from a, a range around this area in different time frames even if oh, they shit. might be transcribed there. Like they're not, yeah. they're not just coming from this mysterious community that made them. No, no. A lot of these texts uh, clearly could be found elsewhere, various uh, other sort of centers that would interested in the Hebrew literary tradition. There is some that are unique. Um, the, uh, the War Scroll is unique. Uh, oof, the Community Rule, I believe it's called, is uh, also unique to that group. But you, yeah, you do find, I believe, almost everything from what we have is the Hebrew Bible now is in the Dead Sea Scrolls, or at least fragments of it. I mean, stuff I think is, uh, I think the bulk has been translated. I am not 100% sure, but um, yeah, it, it seems to be uh, uh, the, the majority are stuff that have been floating around before, uh, and very similar in sort of their translation. It looks like a lot of the texts that we have now uh, did not deviate that much from what uh, was written there. So that kind of gives a nice sense that the, the scribal uh, skill was quite good, whether you didn't have the, the errors that a lot of times crop up. But, um, but by and large, yeah, it's the Hebrew Bible plus, uh, I guess, its own apocrypha uh, would be a, a way to look at it. Right. 
we, we touched on this a, a little bit before, uh, way back in 2016. Those were the good old days. I was, I was so young and naive then. Yeah. But um, we, uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit before, but it kind of bears repeating it and getting into because of some of the information um, and theories that circulate about the Dead Sea Scrolls. But is, is there, can we talk about these as significantly proto-Christian? Can we draw a line from these texts? And I mean like the texts that are exclusive to the Dead Sea Scrolls or to the community, sure. to the early Christian community? I don't think so. Um, I know a lot of people want to. Uh, I find that really interesting. There does seem to be this academic or even popular desire to find something Christian-esque within the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, I don't see anything directly linked to it. it, it uh, I mean, Christianity or what we say is Christianity or develops in the Christianity is certainly breathing in the same atmosphere as the, the folks uh, at Qumran. But uh, I mean, they're really, from what I gather, nothing uh, that makes me scream, oh, that's a, a proto-Christian um, uh, text. Uh, I mean, the one thing I, I do find that people um, want to kind of imply it is that the the authorship of the Dead Sea Scrolls doesn't quite fit with the Essenes or the Sadducees or the Pharisees so it must therefore be somebody Christiany or you know from John the Baptist or, or something but they I I don't see them as any more anticipating or a forerunner of Christianity than say uh, any Pharisaic or um, Sadducee writings at the time so is there um is there also a problem with thinking them as as Jewish texts and using that specific term to describe them as as Jewish quote unquote texts? Um, I mean, they're as Jewish as anything else at the time. I mean, the, it's a contested sort of thing in scholarship, uh, especially around Christian origins. Uh, and, and this time is you know what constitutes Judaism. Um, you know, we usually think of it as a pretty normative set of practices and, and and by and large the the text of Quran uh, could fit into that but they you know Judaism's was a contested discourse um, you know compared to what was going on saying Quran versus uh, the folks in Alexandria for instance um, they all would have thought of themselves as authentically equally Jewish or of appropriating the traditions of the ancient Hebrews, but um, they certainly configured their myths in very different ways and, and how they went about things. So um, I would, as, a, as an academic, I would put uh, Jewish in quotes with a footnote and an asterisk <laughs> and reference in 17 other bits of material and, and then uh, promptly tell people that I'm, I'm just not going to go there. So. <laughs> right. So to, to, to clarify again, and this is actually something we talked about on the show with other academics with other guests it really is putting that s on the end of judaism it's it's judaisms and then later we can talk about christianities it's a very diverse yeah. as it is today um it's, Most it's certainly, very yeah i think the insistence on having a, a very stable judaism then mm -hmm. is much more about trying to define and and buttress judaism now um you know if you control the past you you know control the present, I think. I'm misquoting Orwell. Not that I'm trying to imply Orwellian stuff here, but um, no. this idea that what was Jewish then probably wouldn't look all that Jewish now, much like what was Christian then, or lack thereof. I mean, early Christianity was Judaism. Yeah. 
So, I mean, and that's, you know, where you're worshiping uh, the incarnation of a deity. Most most uh, Jews probably would disagree with that. Some would have no trouble with that. So the idea of, of, of kind of uh, resisting calling it Judaism um, or or qualifying it Judaism with the footnotes and the uh, um, and the uh, um, uh, quotes scare quotes and everything is that we are dealing with the diversity of materials and expressions. Uh, there was no normative Judaism uh, at the time, much like there was no normative Christianity or or Greco-Roman religion or any of these other things. Uh, so to call it simply Judaism sort of implies a normative standard, which. I think is more about modern constructions and trying to explain or describe the practices of the ancient world. So, uh, yeah, the variety was was huge. Uh, everything from what you'd find in Jerusalem, Qumran, Alexandria, uh, hugely diverse types of traditions that we could easily all call Jewish or Judaisms, and, and they may not have seen any similarity between them. Um, and again, I, I think I, I uh, uh, said this before, but I mean, Christianity at this stage was a variety of Judaism. Mm -hmm. Right. So, exactly. um, so calling it uh, Judaism, I, I find is it, it's, it's a pregnant term in that it has too much modern implications and it doesn't help me uh, in my work describe what's going on. Uh, so I, I personally tend to avoid trying to use it. And a lot of scholars, when it comes to the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, do as well. Uh, some don't, and I think in a lot of ways that's part of their agenda, as they want to make it similar to what they have now. So, uh, yeah, the the term is uh, like uh, like Jonathan uh, Smith always says. You know, classification really is an important element. It's something that we need to be really self conscious and aware of. So, when it comes to Judaisms and Christianities, that in particular, yeah. Yeah. Now. Um... <clears throat> the, there is a, uh, uh, at least a, a surface level similarity to another uh, discovery of a cache of ancient documents, uh, this one in Nag Hammadi in Egypt. Right. Um, other than the fact that we found some old texts and some, you know, some jars, what, uh, what similarities do the Dead Sea Scrolls have to uh, Nag Hammadi texts and what might be considered other uh, more Gnostic texts, if sure. there is any? Well, the, the similarities, I mean, for me, when I was first sort of looking into them, it was, you know, I found, especially when it came to folks who were interested in early Christianity, they seemed to get very excited by the Dead Sea Scrolls, where nobody paid that much attention to Nag Hammadi, which actually does talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it talks about the apostles. I mean, not the ones that you'd want or the <laughs> way you'd want it. Um, I mean, Jesus running around... Uh, saying and doing some of the things he did is, is probably doesn't fit. But um, I think on a, I mean, the collections are certainly, you know, geographically distant. Um, looks like Nag Hammadi wasn't preserved or buried until probably the third or fourth century. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and they were dealing with very different things, but they also seem to have a certain similarity in well both collections seem to have known used and and wanted to um think about the world through this lens of of enoch this enochic worldview now again not all of them i don't wish to say the dead sea scroll was this and or scrolls were all this and and the nakamadi was all this but there does seem to be certain elements where there is overlap where you do see references to 
the Book of Enoch, and they seem to be using them in similar ways, um, uh, sort of reconfiguring their their mythologies that they hold dear through this lens of Enoch to kind of express their um, uh, their desires and, and however that happens to be. So uh, I certainly see some, something like the the secret revelation of John and maybe, you know, uh, one of the uh, uh, texts from Qumran, like a, perhaps like the war scroll. I, I, I'm I perhaps I'm getting this, uh, uh, the details wrong, but they both, uh, both collections contain references to Enoch, using them to express their discontent content with the current political situation and are both trying to come up with answers. Um, where um, the Dead Sea Scrolls want to have it more of a, um, I think as, as uh, Jonathan Smith said, um, the the wrong king is on the throne, but the right God is in heaven and he will fix it. Where the Nag Hammadi is, the wrong king's on the throne, and that or the wrong king's on the throne, that means the wrong God is in heaven. Mm. And that's why, but they're both using Enoch to come up with these answers. And I find that really fascinating, um, that that link got tends to not not just get ignored but people will say well there's nothing uh comparable between them and i think that's more to have to do with uh trying to keep gnosticism so-called gnosticism and judaism as as far apart as possible mm. right so, it's, it's oh sorry you just interrupted it's, it's again a, a lot of the things we've been talking about this whole episode sometimes with Sona's categorization and and, and mm-hmm. genre right we got to keep the the nhl away from the the dead sea scroll because one is quote unquote judaism and one is some weird heresy is that yeah. is that am i understanding that right so we we kind of some scholars are kind of making these constructions for maybe in some cases a subconscious political point maybe in other cases a, a conscious political reason I- I think so. I mean, there does seem to be certain assumptions when it comes to what must have been Judaism, what must have been so-called Gnosticism. I mean, even using the term Gnosticism is is somewhat problematic, somewhat, I mean, I'd say very problematic uh, in making these arguments, uh, because what is Gnostic is clearly what is not Jewish. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like... Oh, sorry, I was just going to say heresy as well. Is is that in... Yeah. Yeah, heresy is very much a very, uh, well, uh, it's sort of the insider term for, or it's a theological term. Uh, it doesn't really carry any traction for academics. I mean, if I'm a theologian, sure, that, that makes sense. Um, but I'm not. Um, my job isn't to do that. My, my job is to kind of account for these things. And calling something heresy implies deviance, which, you know, also implies that there was a normative center in which somebody deviated from. And, and there just does not seem to be the evidence. Uh, of that, uh, and again, that that does come in with with uh, Judaism as well. Our our assumption is that there was this core Judaisms, and there there might have been some overlap, that kind of family resemblance. The uh, as again that gets bandied about, but what makes something normative? It, uh, my job isn't to to ascribe normativity to something. My job is just to describe what's going on, or at least what I think is going on. But isn't it also the case that? Um this assumption of normativity, whether it's, uh, you know, is, it, as, as um, distant as it may be from actual scholarship, it, it, it has been uh, used as a classification tool for scholarship up until relatively recently, right? Mm-hmm. You have a lot of, um, there, there has been, and, and I've, we've talked to other scholars who say that there's a, um, a stigma against studying uh, Gnosticisms uh, because they are considered less important or or um, or actually abnormal, right? 
Oh, very much so. I mean, um, when the uh, oh, the Five Gospels book, the one produced by the uh, the Jesus Seminar, mm -hmm. came out, and they had the audacity to include the Gospel of Thomas. <laughs> uh, people like um, oh. There are so many got so upset because how could this be uh, historical Jesus stuff? Or how could you look at something like the Gospel of Philip as as historical Jesus? And I, I remember thinking, um, yeah, because somebody who, you know, brings back people from the dead is so historical. <laughs> and and it, it just, again, it's very much the... Um, the you know who gets or what gets to be normative tends to be what not so much what was going on then but what happens to be important now mm -hmm. um, you know where before uh, uh, World War II and the Holocaust uh, Jesus and Christianity was utterly against Judaism mm -hmm. now rightly so we we do not config configure it as such it is Jewish uh, to the point where scholars have gone through some serious mental contortions to make it seem as palatable. Uh, to to whatever version of Judaism they happen to us want to preserve or describe or invent. So, um, yeah, it really does come down to scholarly preference issues, um, whatever sort of agenda they have. Um, just recently, there was um, a discussion on uh, Steve Mason wrote an article about saying uh, we shouldn't call it Judaism; we should call it Judean. And uh, the uh, brouhaha was uh, quite amazing, where, you know, references to the Holocaust and Nazism <laughs> were, were bandied about, and you're just like, you know, really? <laughs> so there is seriously something going on behind the scenes, and, and uh, I mean, I find that fascinating mm. uh, myself. But, uh, um, yeah, I, the whole normativity is, uh, I'm very suspicious when somebody tries to cast that in an academic setting mm -hmm. um you know that just it just sets my uh my alarm bells off so yeah well bias is often invisible right right yeah and i mean i'm clearly uh have my own i mean mm -hmm. of course we all do yeah um but um you know try to be aware that i have it and and try to you know work through that i mean that's sort of the uh, the mantra, at least when I've been doing religious studies, when I've been trying to teach theory, is be aware of what you're saying, that it's these things are loaded and uh, they're not self-evident. I mean, normativity, Judaism, religion do not exist in the wild. They take a lot of work to produce. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, biases are everywhere. Just be aware you have them, Yeah, I think. So would you say, uh, of the Dead Sea Scrolls, is there anything uh, among those documents that might be considered... Um, that, that might contain some sort of Gnostic ideology or what would be described in the family of Gnostic ideologies? Yeah. Um, again, assuming something called Gnosticism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I'm going to qualify everything I say. There's like scare quotes and all yeah. everything. <laughs> we'll just Photoshop uh, them on the screen there. Please, yeah. please do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, there certainly is some... I mean, nothing really overt, nothing that would make me think, oh, somebody who read, you know, the hypostasis of the archons would have got pretty excited by this. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, though, we do have vaguely or, or kind of low-grade demiurgical texts where they talk about the rulers of the world and the sons of darkness and uh, the, 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 the kingless generation, like these terminologies that feel very Gnostic-y 
have shown up. But then again, they show up in things like the Gospel of John. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I do think a lot of this stuff tends to, um, uh, I mean, it's all breathing out of the same environment. So it's it's not surprising that you would find uh, some overlaps. Uh, their focus is going to be very different, though. I think the Qumran community would have been very um, distinct in what it was talking about or thinking about compared to the secret revelation of John, for mm-hmm. instance. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, there, it, it, I, I'd be surprised if there wasn't some overlap. But um, I'm pretty sure the one of the one of the uh, Yahadian scribes, uh, if he got a hold of uh, on the origin of the world, may have been a little, <laughs> uh, little uh, uh, confused to say the least, or would have thought it is a gross heresy, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> most certainly. Yeah, but then again, they saw the Pharisees as a gross heresy too. So, yeah. Um. Getting to the point of the show where it's not on the question sheet, and I think I read this somewhere, and maybe we could just edit it out at that point of the show. Was, was there something about about a treasure scroll or possible buried treasure? Or oh, this yeah. Just, yeah. No, I did want to include this because probably, you know, 90% of our audience are treasure hunters, so they'd be very interested to hear about this. Yeah. Yes, I, I have got the scroll. I found the treasure, and it's in my office. Um <laughs> And no, we have the head of John the Baptist. We have the head of John the si- Baptist sitting in the back. Oh, really? Oh, I have it tied around my cat's collar. That's, uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, yes, there is something. Oh, uh, it's like the, oh, what is it called? Yeah, something about this treasure. And it, and it sort of in, uh, uh, discusses. I'm not as versed on this one. I didn't find it as interesting as sort of the war scroll and things. But I have this special uh, treasure, whether it is. Uh, a real, you know, gold and silver and things, or, you know, this metaphysical treasure. It, it's kind of up in the air. I, I am probably not the best person uh, <laughs> to ask on that one, because uh, I, I would, I sure hope there's some sort of, you know, at least we could make a good Indiana Jones movie out of it. Yeah. yeah. Something's got to be better than that last one. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're making another one, so they have another shot at it. Uh, oh, God. Uh, oh, well. Uh, He's not doing anything as Han Solo anymore. So. Uh, yeah, spoiler oh, alert. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> if you haven't seen it by now. Um, yeah. I, I had another question that's not on the sheet, actually. Um, it, is it easier to study the Dead Sea Scrolls because, or the, Qum, the Qumran community because you have that kind of snapshot of, you know, these are the texts that they were using for this period of time? You know, and if the Qumran community went on and continued to evolve and, and write new texts and, and interact with other groups, um, their theology would have changed as, as every group does. So sure, is, yeah. it, is it easier to study the Qumran community versus another form of Judaism of, that, uh, of, of their contemporary time period because that kind of continued on, whereas you have this little chunk of time here, time capsule? That's a really interesting question. I um, I've never thought of that actually. Uh, I would think, um, I mean, they would have been a little if they were producing their own texts as as they seem to have done. Um, yeah, you would have had a better sense of who was writing what and when and where, and then you could have sussed through their agendas perhaps. But um, uh, yeah, I, I really I'm not sure. I w- I would think. My heart tells me yes. That would have been a little easier. It might not have been as interesting. Mm. Um, I the Judaisms that I've been interested in lately are the sort of uh, um, Alexandrian Judaisms where they had you know uh, the dead were used in their rites and things like that. Like some really 
weird stuff. Like I like the weird stuff. That's sort of been my um, that my draw into this kind of thing. So. Um, like good stuff too. Yeah, I want to. I want to <laughs> do another show now on yeah, you know, now necromancy and Judaism. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you would get either a lot of positive hits or negative hits if you had that in the title. Either um, way, yeah. Either Harvey way is stuff good. With yeah. Dead bodies of Glenn Aaron. I can see it now. <laughs> oh, there goes any career options I've ever had. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the uh, uh, the Quran community seems. Uh, you almost get the impression that they were just waiting for their chance uh, at taking over the temple. Mm. You know, I, I always, I kind of think of them as that political party that just is waiting to take over. Um, they had the Pharisees and the Sadducees that sort of um, oscillated between them, but you know, by God, we're going to get our chance. Uh, uh, that maybe that's a very Canadian way of looking at it. We have multiple political parties, and we always have the one that's you know oh, never the uh, always the bridesmaid, never the bride kind of thing. So I, maybe I'm I'm projecting a little bit, but uh, I think they would have eventually, if they carried on, they might have um, uh, either taken over the temple system uh, or been appropriated by other groups. Uh, I'm not sure how much they could have gone on on their own these apocalyptic groups tend to uh peter out after a while or get rebranded because you know when you're waiting for god to come fix everything and he doesn't show up yeah it's hard to it's hard to keep that tension i mean you see that with like paul for instance he's jesus is coming back tuesday and then like seven years later it's like well actually i meant you know and then they, they they change it a little bit so yeah a more recent example, the Seventh-day Adventists did a really good job of marketing that when they... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're good. I think I like, yeah, I have to admit, I'm uh, uh, seeing how they managed to pull stuff off is pretty good. So, um, yeah, I, I my guess is that the flavor of them would change uh, quite drastically. You might get something like uh, the Johannine community, uh, you see with the Gospel of John and, and the letters, how that sort of evolved and changed and then fragmented and, and went on their way, so... Um, yeah, uh, the the what if in me thinks that they. I would love to have seen them become normative Judaism. That would have been pretty neat. <laughs> but then maybe but, they wouldn't have been as interesting. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, well, that, yeah. I mean, if, okay, if the Apocrypha right. of John got to be in the uh, New Testament, I don't think uh, I would be all that excited when I get to read the Apocrypha of John. So. <laughs> yeah. What, what what do you think? Uh, what do you think happened to them? Do you have any personal theories or any academic theories that you like? Do you think the Romans wiped them out? Do you think there was a drought, or do you think they just went back to Jerusalem? Or I, I think they probably were a victim of the uh, conflict um, yeah. at the time, where Judaism or whatever the, the this thing that we talk about uh, was seriously under threat and under um, you know persecution by the Romans. Uh, so I think they either went underground or the community. You know, God's coming to fix the Romans, and oh crap, he destroyed our city. You know, like I think there was a lot of dark night of the soul elements uh, at that point where they would have to, you know, rethink how they're going to be Jewish, um, much like the Pharisees did and Christians did. You know, you know so maybe they got absorbed. Um, whether they were kind of wiped out by the Romans, I wouldn't hazard a guess. Um, uh, I'd like to think that, uh, you know, maybe they were somehow involved in the Masada thing or, or something heroic and cool, but uh, I, I don't think um, I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. All right, how's that academic for you? <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. 
Well, it, that is it. that is an answer we get talking to a lot of scholars. So that is. Uh, uh, yeah. we, we are slippery like eels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think uh, that probably wraps it up for us. Jonathan, did you have any last minute questions? I, I think that's it. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again, Dr. Farron, for um, putting up with our, our technical difficulties <laughs> no, all this you. time. And, and we appreciate your, your time and your expertise on this. And uh, we look forward to the next time we get to talk to you about Marcy. I hope that's soon. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> Yeah, I heard that was going to happen pretty quick. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, for those of you who are watching or listening along at home, we'll see you next week.